Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This summer, we're going, the rest of the summer, we're going to be looking at some different truths from the book of Proverbs. And then this fall, we'll begin another study verse by verse. And since last Sunday was Father's Day, I thought it appropriate to begin the study of Proverbs, which we're going to be all over the place, (laughs) about talking about principles for parenting. Now, I understand that some of you, your children are grown and gone, so this is sort of like telling you that your fence needs repaired and how to repair it after the cows have long gone. But you've got grandchildren, and you've got also children that are still around, and they still need some advice from time to time. And then there are some of you who are new parents, some of you who are right in the middle of parenting. And so I also know that the Word of God will not return void. Now, today... We're going to do what a lot of us my age will remember that commercial that says, let your fingers do the walking. (laughs) What was I talking about? Yellow pages. The kids today don't even know what yellow pages are. They do everything on Google and all kinds of things on their phone. But we're going to look at several different passages of scripture. I'll begin in a moment in chapter one and verse eight. But for those of you who've already been, who are parents, you're, you don't ever quit being a parent, but your, your kids are grown and out of the house. Uh, this test is not for you, but you could probably amen this test. And for those of you who are new parents, let me see if you can pass the parent test. And maybe some of you are expecting your a new baby. Uh, maybe you're watching on television or online and you're expecting this. Let me give you the parent test. And some of you may want to add to this. First is the mess test. Smear peanut butter on the sofa and curtains. Rub your hands in the wet flower bed and rub on the walls. Cover the stains with crayons and then place a fish stick behind the couch and leave it there all summer. (laughs) The toy test. Obtain a 55-gallon box of Legos. If Legos are not available, you may substitute roofing tacks or broken bottles. Have a friend spread them all over the house. Put on a blindfold. Try to walk to the bathroom or kitchen. Do not scream. This could wake a child at night. (laughs) The grocery store test. Borrow one or two small animals. Goats are the best. And take them with you as you shop at the grocery store. Always keep them in sight and pay for anything they eat or damage. (laughs) The dressing test. Obtain one large, unhappy, live octopus. Stuff it into a small net bag, making sure that all arms stay inside. The feeding test. Obtain a large plastic milk jug. Fill halfway with water. Suspend from the ceiling with a stout cord. Start the jug swinging. Try to insert a spoonful of soggy cereal into the mouth of the jug while pretending to be an airplane. Now dump the contents of the jug on the floor. Night test. The night test. Prepare by obtaining a small cloth bag and fill it with 8 to 12 pounds of sand. Soak it thoroughly in water. At 8 p.m., begin to waltz and hum with the bag until 9 p.m. 
Lay your bag down, set your alarm for 10 p.m. Get up, pick up your bag, and sing every song you have ever heard. Make up about a dozen more and sing these until 4 a.m. Set the alarm for 5 a.m., get up and make breakfast, keep this up for five years, and look cheerful. <laughs> the physical test for women. Obtain a large beanbag chair and attach it to the front of your clothes. Leave it there for nine months. Now remove 10% of the beans. <laughs> Physical test for the men. Go to the nearest drugstore, set your wallet on the counter. Ask the clerk to help himself. Now proceed to the nearest go grocery store. Go to the head office and arrange for your paycheck to be directly deposited to the store. Purchase a newspaper, go home and read it quietly for the last time. Final assignment. Find a couple who already have a small child. Lecture them on how they can improve their discipline, patience, tolerance, toilet training, and child's table manners. Suggest many ways they can improve. Emphasize to them that they should never allow their children to run riot. Enjoy this experience. It will be the last time you will have all the answers. <laughs> there are no perfect parents. Not here to make anybody feel guilty. And let's just get it out here on the table right up front. Every one of us as parents wish we could do something differently than when we did. So let's just get over that. Let's talk about from now on and what children need. According to experts, home and family life account for 92% of a child from cradle to college. Home is where life makes up its mind. And the American family today is being so redefined that it makes no sense anymore. It can mean almost anything. But as you, as you study God's history with Israel... It was their family units that made them distinct and separate from all the pagan nations around them. So this book, this Proverbs is practical advice, not just for parents, but a lot of different things as we'll see over the next few weeks. But the mission of the family from God's perspective has to been to know him and to make him known. It's the epitome of, Proverbs is of family instruction, not only as a guidebook, but as a resource for children. It's a primer on family interaction. It provides God's perspective on family life from many angles. But what is the purpose of family according to God? God's assigned purpose for the family is to honor him and to perpetuate faith and obedience in our offspring. Listen to Malachi 2.15. Has not the Lord made them one in flesh and spirit? They are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So the purpose for our individual lives is to honor the Lord. The purpose for our family life is to honor the Lord. And your children will grow up and they will make their own decisions. And sometimes they make bad choices. But as you have children in the home, and even, out, even after they've grown, there's still opportunities to help them. You don't just drop a kid off in Sunday school and think, well, that's all he needs to learn about God. 
No, it's learned in the home. You talk about him. You tell your children how he's been faithful to you, how you accepted him, and how he loves them. You know, there's been some ridiculous books written about parenting, and one of those ridiculous books is entitled, Why Children Turn Out the Way They Do. And it was written by Judith Rich Harris. And in that book, she claims that what influences children's development is not by the parents, that that's wrong. She says that all the parents do is contribute the necessary biological elements and then DNA takes over and nothing that the parents do or say after that matters. Praise or hugs or criticism or slugs, it didn't matter any difference in, in what kind of adult child they will become. Folks, that's the most... <sighs> that is not a smart thing to say. Laura held her breath. She didn't know what I was about to say. <laughs> to me, that sounds a little too convenient. Like they're trying to justify their guilt. But did you know in a recent poll of almost of a quarter million, 244,000, excuse me, 272,400 middle school and high school students were surveyed and they said that their parents were the most important influence in their life next to religion. Book of Proverbs does not dwell on personality types or birth order or emotional scars or any other outside influence. Book of Hebrews, Book of Proverbs talks about real thoughts, actions, decisions, accountability, consequences, and even rewards. It teaches us about the responsibility as parents. So if you're looking for somebody to give you expert advice from a perfect dad, I'm not your guy because I'm not a perfect dad. But we can look at some principles today for parents no matter where you are in your life. The first one, instruction. Truth is taught. Proverbs 1.8, my son, hear the instruction of your father. Do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. Now, if you look at Proverbs 3, 1, my son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. And in Proverbs 6, 20, my son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. And when you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, they will speak with you. In the time that Proverbs was written, God had given Israel national laws to keep them distinct 
from all the pagan nations around them. Listen to one of these laws. Now, this law was actually quoted by a former president out of context, I might add, to defend the fact that we don't need to be using God's word to guide our country. But you need to understand that I'm not advocating what this law to Israel was, but listen to it. Deuteronomy 21:18 says, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and who when they have chastened him will not heed them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him, bring him out to the elders of his city, to the gate of this city, then all the men of this city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall put away the evil from among you and all Israel shall hear and fear. Can you imagine if they did that today? None of us would be here. But here's the point. A Hebrew couple, when they looked at this newborn baby, at some point had to come to the realization in their life that if we don't teach this child faith and obedience, it could cost him his life. And while none of us would advocate a return to considering rebellion against parents as a capital offense, imagine how much more seriously parents would take the responsibility to instruct their children if they could see the consequences down the road. You can't see all of them. And again, I'm not discounting the fact that your children are sinners just like you and they can make bad choices. And you can't take the, the blame for all of that. And don't. But when it comes to rearing children, you need to understand we have 20 years. Otherwise, our country becomes barbaric. 20 years is all we have to accomplish accomplish the task of civilizing the infants who are born into our midst each year. Now, I'm going to offend you when I call those little savages that are born to us. That's what they are. They come into the world as barbarians. They're cute as they can be, but they're savages because they don't know anything of our language. They don't know of our culture. They don't know of our religion. They don't know of our values. They don't know our customs. They're ignorant about communism and fascism and socialism and democracy and civil liberties and respect and decency and honesty and customs and manners. They don't know any of that stuff. And if we don't teach them, they grow up to be barbarians. We see that godly instruction is greater value than anything else that you can give them. I sort of emphasized in, chapter, in, in Proverbs 1, 8 and 9, it says they will be the instruction from father and mother. They will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains around your neck. In those days, it was a sign of wealth and status. And it tells us that nothing can be of greater value For your children to inherit than is godly instruction and values. It'll take them through the rest of their life. Now, some parents see this as a mandate for their children to listen to them, 
But it really speaks of a strong commitment from the parents to lead and guide them and be an example for them in this area. To instruct them by learning. Wise parents make instructing their children in the way of the Lord a priority. You can do it all through life. It doesn't have to be just on Sunday. It can be when you're on a fishing trip. Talk to your children about God's creation and look what God has done and all this. Talk to them about it at home. All during life, you're, the conversation is about God. Not all, not all the time, but you instruct them. Teach them the truth. And for the children, children, listen, it says you're to bind them around your neck and write them on your heart. I am appalled when I hear parents or hear of parents that say, I'm not going to force my religion on my children. I don't think they should be made to come to church when they don't want to. I want them to make up their own minds when they grow up. Well, how do you expect them to make a choice when they don't even know what the options are? And if, you have never been, if they've never been exposed to church, how do you expect them to know what they are rejecting later? If you've never been exposed to the love of God and his moral law, how do you expect them to make moral decisions? I know I'm preaching to the choir, but there may be somebody watching online. There may be somebody that'll see this on television. And I'm going to tell you that if your faith is not important enough to you that, so that you share it with them, how do you expect them to follow that? Amen. You've got to instruct them about the truth. And the truth, there is absolute truth. It's not subjective. It's not how you feel. The truth is there's two genders. The truth is there's only one God-ordained marriage. The truth is the family is the way God intended it to be. Don't you dare tell me I'm being hateful. I'm not being hateful. I'm just telling you the truth. And the truth, when people, people who hate the truth look at truth as hate, just because you're told the truth doesn't mean it's hateful. The second principle is correction. Learning wrong from right. It goes right along with what I've been telling you. Verse, Proverbs 10 verse 1 says, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. Proverbs 14, 29 He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. You know, if, if parenting was a simple matter of just sitting children down, giving them a pep talk every day, filling their minds with instruction and then turning them loose, they'd be perfect, wouldn't it? But they just don't do that. The truth, however, is along with instructing them in the right way, we've got to warn them about the wrong way. And correct them when they stray. I got amused at one lady who said, my grandmother taught me, gave me one great piece of advice when, on child rearing. She said, never start a sentence with these words. No child of mine will ever. That's the truth, isn't it? Folks, you instruct by the way that you live. 
and correct them. What you don't teach them, someone else will. And you may not like the lessons they're going to learn. The third principle is right along with that. It's discipline. Choices bring consequences. You know, of all the things about parenting, this is the thing I dislike the most. Proverbs 13, 24 He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Proverbs 22, 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. Proverbs 23, 13. Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Now, the word beat there does not mean what you think it means. It means to spank or discipline them. It is not, this is, these are not verses to uh, advocate child abuse. The child may think you're abusing him. I always thought my dad was abusing me when he gave me the paddle. Actually, it was worse. I had to go pick a belt. Did you ever have to do that? Go get me a belt. I tried them all. Wide, thin. (laughs) It didn't matter. And y'all did it too, because I can tell. (laughs) I'd go back there and feel of them. Part of it was the fear. He never beat me, never hurt me, never left a mark on me. But the fear of discipline, choices bring consequences. They need to understand that the choices they make bring consequences. Consequences. You got to get past that phrase, kids will be kids. Now, there's part of it that's true. But there comes a time when you've got to think about what they're going to become if you don't discipline them. I, I get amused, a true story of a lady who had been on, in an overnight flight on an overnight flight to meet her husband at his latest military assignment. She got off the plane with her nine children, all under the age of 11. And she got the 10 suitcases. They entered the cramped customs area to get into Germany. And the customs agent said, ma'am, are all these kids yours? She said, yes, sir. They're all mine. And the customs agent began his interrogation. Ma'am, do you have any weapons, contraband, or illegal drugs in your possession? She said, sir, if I'd had any of those things, I would have used them by now. They can be difficult. Mom sent a little boy to bed. Five minutes later, Mom, what? I'm thirsty. Can you bring me a glass of water? No. You had your chance. Lights out. Five minutes later, Mom, what? I'm thirsty. Can I have a glass of water? I told you no. If you ask again, I'll have to spank you. Five minutes later, 
Mom, what? When you come in to spank me, can you bring me a glass of water? (laughs) You know, one of the hardest jobs of a parent is making your kids understand that no is a complete sentence. No. These passages are not a justification for child abuse. And sometimes physical discipline is not the only way to discipline them. In fact, Proverbs 29:15 says, "The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother." Verse 17, "Correct your son, and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul." Sometimes it's hard to know what to do. And nobody's got to ever answer because every kid is different. One father was talking to his neighbor and said things were a lot different when I was a boy. When I got in trouble, they sent me to my room. But in my son's room, he's got a TV, a video game, a stereo, a computer, his telephone. If I don't want to punish him, I have to send him to my room. (laughs) You have to figure out what works. And we all know why we have a middle name, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. Anytime, well, I don't know how about it's you, unless you're, you know, from the South and your name's Billy Bob or something like that. But my middle name meant I was fixing to get it. That's the sole purpose of a middle name. So you can tell when you're really in trouble. Sometimes discipline can just grieve you. It's hard. But you know, sometimes the Lord chastens and disciplines us as his children. And I can imagine how it breaks his heart. It's not pleasant. But you're trying to think down the road. You're not trying to punish somebody. You're trying to get them to the place where they understand that their choices have consequences. I hated that part. That's why you throw that word out when it comes to grandchildren. (laughs) I've done that. I'll let mom and dad do that now. Another principle is training. And don't stop too early. Now, this is the verse that's very, very familiar to you, Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Folks, the transitional period from childhood to adulthood, there's no definite point there. And we kind of get the idea that they're, when they start shaving or they start driving or they get out of high school or whatever, that they've reached adulthood. Let me tell you something. Teenagers are not adults. Their brain is not fully functional, not fully uh, uh, developed until they're in their 20s. So if you expect a teenager to act like an adult... They've got potential, and sometimes they do, but sometimes they'll go, what were you thinking? 
and they weren't. Especially down the road, consequences. The word train up is an agrarian, agricultural term. It, you, you've seen amusement parks where bushes were in the shapes of animals or trees were formed to grow a certain decorative way. They've been trained to do that. It took a long time and a lot of care and trimming and pruning. At our house, we have a, an arbor in the back, and on that arbor over the last seven, six or seven years, honeysuckle had taken over it. Now, I grew up, I wasn't born in Arkansas, okay? I was, grew up there from the fourth grade for a little while. I've been back in Texas longer, so don't quit accusing me of being from Arkansas. But honeysuckle in Arkansas is a weed. You can't kill the stuff. I can't tell you how many times I went out on our fence behind the parsonage and tried to trim it and kill it and all, and you can cut it down, it'll grow back. So I didn't think you could kill it, but that freeze several years ago, the one that shut down the whole state of Texas, it killed our honeysuckle. And so I can't believe that I went and bought honeysuckle. <laughs> But I did it because my wife likes it. <laughs> and now I have it planted again on each side of that arbor and it's beginning to grow and we're having to train it. Once I got it tied on there, it's doing its own thing now. It's, it's growing. That's, that's what this word means, to train it over a long period of time. And you really and truly, we have, we've put too low of an upper age limit when we think they're adults. It, they're not adults for a long time. And you keep on training them. You keep on loving them. You keep on guiding them. You obviously, when they get out of your house, you can't discipline them anymore unless you're still funding what they're doing. But you keep on training them. It's, it's a precept. It's intended to give it direction and vision and motivation and encouragement and trust me, I know of people who raised them to know the Lord and lovingly did that, and their kids have rebelled. Again, God was the perfect father, and his children rebelled. So you can't blame yourself for all the decisions that have been made, but you look for opportunities to train when you can, and don't quit. The last thing is counsel. Never quit learning. Proverbs 13, 1. A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Proverbs 15, 5. A fool despises his father's instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent. Proverbs 17, 6. Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children is their father. Proverbs 23, 22. Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. One of the beautiful things about a parent-child relationship that has matured, even after the child has become an adult, is the role of wisdom and counsel never ends. You can still help one another. 
Obviously, you leave your father and mother and cleave unto your spouse and you become a family or if you're single, you become a family. But there's still something to be offered from your folks, from your parents. How much better for a family to continually cultivate and nourish a mutual commitment to the Lord Let me read some more out of Proverbs 23, verse 24. says, The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her who bore you rejoice. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Your parents, young people, your parents are a lot smarter than you think they are. Max Licato wrote a book called the Eye, In the Eye of the Storm. And in that book, he retells the story told by Clovis Chapel, who was a, an evangelist a hundred years ago or over. And he said that there were two paddle boats that were leaving Memphis on the way to New Orleans. They were carrying cargo and they were on the way to New Orleans down the Mississippi River. Well, they were traveling side by side, and one day the sailors began to converse with one another, and one of them called the other one slow, and next thing you know, there's a challenge, and the next thing you know, there's a race to New Orleans. And they are putting the coal to it. Until one of them begins to fall back because they're running out of coal. Now, they had enough coal to make it all the way to New Orleans, just not to race down there. Well, one enterprising sailor found out he took a box of cargo and threw it in the fire and found out that that paddle boat would run on the cargo. So they began using the cargo, and they actually won the race. But when they got to New Orleans, they had no cargo on the ship. Parents, your children are the most precious cargo that God's given you on this earth next to your salvation. Your spouse is precious cargo. And you don't want to race through life and get to the end of life and wonder, where's my cargo? So the commitment is, Lord, this day or whatever day, this day help me as a mom or a dad to love my kids, to instruct them about the Lord. You know, we teach them about everything. We're so, we're so concerned about that they get to play sports. There's nothing wrong with sports, but it's become an obsession. So much so that it's taken the place of the Lord. Other things can become an obsession. And we're thinking, well, I just want to give my child the best. Well, I want to tell you, you teach them about Jesus, you see that they come to know Christ, you've given them the best. Amen. 
But you can't do that if you don't know Jesus yourself. You can be a religious person and still not instill, instill godly principles into their lives. And so if you don't know Jesus today, you can. You can give your life to him. Again, parents, you say, Lord, you got to give me wisdom to know what to do. Because some of you are in positions and situations that are heart-wrenching. And you don't know what to do. And so you just have to say, God, all I can do is turn them over to you. Because I don't know what to do. Some of you need a church. Some of you need to be baptized. But most of all, you need to make sure that your heart's right with the Lord so that you can love and guide and instill in them godly principles. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Lord, I pray for every dad in this room, every mom, every granddad, every grandmother. I ask you, Lord, to first of all, Give us peace. Your presence brings peace in our heart. Lord, we, we can look back and we don't have a tendency to look at all the good things we did. All we can think about is the wrong things we did. And we know that you've forgiven us. And I pray, God, that you would, in spite of any mistakes we made, continue to lead our kids. Some have children today that are far away from you. And just like illustrated in the prodigal son, Lord, bring them back to you. I pray for dads that need Jesus today. I pray for moms that need to give their life to Jesus and for grandparents. And I know that there's so many different family dynamics, but Lord, the one basic underlying foundation is do they know you? So please bring them to you today. We pray for our children and our grandchildren and ask God that you will keep them in the center of your will.